Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. This is God's word to us. Thank you guys for coming to church this morning. It's warm. It's Labor Day weekend. The beach is closed, so I'm sorry about that. But um, we're just, again, like I said earlier, uh, I don't know, I'm always extremely thankful that we're allowed to gather as the Lord's church. And so this is just another gift of grace this morning that we can come together, we can rally behind the gospel, we can worship Jesus together, and we can hear from God's word. And the hope and prayer is that the Holy Spirit changes us today. That we hear from the Holy Spirit, that he pushes the gospel further into our hearts, that he is teaching us and filling our hearts and minds with God's word, and it changes us, that we can actually live out God's word together. Now, I am 34, and I've been married for nine years. I've known my wife for 14 years, and it's been an amazing journey. I love being married. I love my wife. She's not here today. Um, But... Over the years, uh, in my limited experience, what I've observed over and over and over again is that telling someone you love them is different than showing them that you love them. Telling someone that you love them is different than showing them you love them because you know what? It's easy to say the words, I love you. It's easier to say the words, I love you. It's not always easy to express that love in our actions towards that particular person. Now, my wife will say from time to time, This is a phrase that she kind of uses. If you love me, you will. And then you can fill in the blank there. Um, It can be something as little as, if you love me, you will let me sleep in this morning. If you love me, you will go to Whole Foods and get my favorite avocado chocolate ice cream, which is out of the way and weird, but really, really good. If you love me, you will let me, uh, you will change the diaper this time. (laughs) That's always a test of our love for sure. If you love me, you'll let me meander through Target for two hours without the kids. I'm okay with that. I mean, if that's the way that I can show I love her is letting her go to Target, thumbs up. You're all good, honey. You can go. Um, But she says this tongue-in-cheek. She says this as a joke. Of course she knows that I love her. Of course she knows that I will do these things for her because I love her. But uh, the underlying message that she's communicating is very true. And that message is that if we love someone, we will actually do what they ask us to do. If we love someone, we will, we will actually do what they ask us to do. We will show that in our actions. Now, Jesus made a similar statement in the Gospel of John as my wife. He didn't ask to go to Target, but he said, if you love me, to John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will, you will do what I tell you. What are Jesus' commandments? He sums them up for us in John 13. John 13, 34 through 35, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, Jesus is saying, your actions will speak of your love for me. And what is Jesus asking us to do? He's asking us to love. 
each other. Showing Jesus that we love him is by loving each other. The Bible describes this way of living as living under the law of Christ, which we kind of know as living under the law of love. Now this morning we're considering a command in scripture that Paul says is the fulfillment of the law of Christ. The fulfillment of the law of Christ. What is this command? We find in Galatians 6.2. It's this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Can you guys pray with me this morning? Father, once again, we're grateful to come face to face with your word. God, we come here as your people gather to collectively hear your word preached. God, we desire to be changed. We desire to be conformed into the image of Christ. And God, just like every single day, where our longing is to just hear the relief that comes from the gospel. To know that we are saved not by our works, not by our actions. God, that we are saved in Christ by what Christ has done for us. And so we ask, God, that you would give relief and comfort for those who are coming this morning who are weary and struggling. We pray, God, that you would teach us. We pray, God, that you would just change us for your glory and our good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning I titled the sermon, Gospel Burden. Gospel Burden. Now, we're in the last chapter of Galatians, and as I've said before, this book can be divided into two parts. The first part could be called teaching on gospel doctrine. The second part is teaching on gospel culture. So teaching on gospel doctrine, the first four chapters of the book of Galatians, bleeding into five, and now teaching on gospel culture from five on to six through the end of the book. Now the reason why I say that is because Paul has spent upwards of 70% of this letter thoroughly unpacking the gospel for the Galatian church. Now more specifically, he has been teaching on justification by faith alone because the Galatian church was being taught something different. They were being told that sure, you enter the family by faith, but the way you stay in the family is by works, is by obedience. And Paul is not having this. This is not the gospel. Paul, we've seen throughout the book of Galatians that he trashes this argument. He sets the record straight and he gives us some solid gospel exposition, which as a church, we've been super thankful and grateful and enriched as we've gone week in and week out through the book of Galatians, hearing the gospel over and over and over again. We've even tried to include the gospel in the title of each sermon every Sunday, which has always worked out. Now Paul is spending the rest of this letter teaching on how we live out the gospel. To use Paul's language in Galatians 5, he's teaching us on what life in the spirit looks like. So far, he's explained that life in the spirit enables us to resist our fleshly desires. We learned that in Galatians 5, 16 through 18. That was two weeks ago. Paul said, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He went on to explain that life in the spirit produces virtues such as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, which we learned about last week. These are the attributes that signify a life submitted to the Spirit. So his encouragement to the church was this, keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit, which we learned is synonymous with abide in Christ, church. Abide in Christ. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Practice 
the presence of God every single second of the day because we need to. We need to abide in Christ because it's in Christ that we get our life and our being. And by doing so, the Spirit will produce Christ-likeness. Church, that's my prayer every single day for you and for me is that we become more like Jesus. Is that we become more like you so that when people encounter us, when we encounter each other, we get a sense of how beautiful Jesus is through our grace and our forgiveness and our love, not to make much of us, but to always make much of Christ. So up to this point, Paul's instruction on living in the spirit has been very inward focused. And what I mean by that, he's been doing a lot of head work and heart work. He's helping Christians understand why we should live under the law of love and how we're able to live under the law of love. Paul's been just saying the foundation for Christ-like living here. And in today's text, Paul is now going to give us instruction on one of the best ways we as Christians can tangibly practice living out the law of Christ, the law of love, towards one another. And that is by bearing one another's burdens. Now before we consider the specific text, let me explain what a burden is. The word burden in its most basic definition is basically a heavy load that is really hard and difficult to carry. Now, we don't really use that word when we, think, when we see things that are heavy that we have to carry. If something is heavy we have to carry, we just say it's heavy and we have to carry it. But we understand this word more so as a figure of speech. We use it often. You may have heard it as, if you don't want to infringe on someone's time or energy or get in the way, you say, I don't want to be a burden to you. I don't want to burden you. We use that word quite often when we are talking about infringing on someone's time or energy. We also have used that word to say that that's not my burden to bear. You've probably heard the phrase, that's not my burden to bear, which is essentially saying, it's not my problem, okay? That's that person's burden. I have my own burdens. They can deal with their own thing. In the Bible, the word burden is used to describe a few different things. It's used to describe most commonly the troubles of life. Things like sickness, like persecution, like oppression, grief, poverty. These can be the burdens of life, the trials of life. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul described persecution this way. He said, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Another usage for the word burden in the Bible is in reference to transgression or sins that a person or people group might be struggling with, which we'll be looking at today in our text. But let me say this. For the Christian, there are two types of burdens that every single Christian will bear from time to time in this life. That is the burden caused by fallen creation, which I've described as the troubles of life, things like sickness, failure, grief, oppression. These are all things, as a, these are all things that are a result of the fall in the garden. The second burden we can carry and will carry is caused by our fleshly desires. And that is us stumbling into sin from time to time. And the Bible teaches us that regardless of which burden we see our brother or sister struggling in, laboring under, God has called you and God has called me to help them. God has called us to labor beside them, to help bear that burden, regardless of what kind of burden it is. Now, Paul encourages the church in Thessalonica this way. He says, 
And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, Paul states, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, not doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility counting others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. And lastly, Paul tells the church in Rome in chapter 12, verses 12 through 15, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Paul tells the churches here, these are all, again, examples of what it means to bear burdens. Correct the idle believer. Encourage the downcast believer. Help the believer who can't help themselves. Humbly serve one another. Count others more significant than yourself. Help the needy believer. Come alongside those who are grieving and grieve with them. All examples of what it means to bear one another's burdens, to show our love. Now, you've probably heard the saying, the church is the hands and feet of Jesus on earth. I think I heard that a lot in a lot of homeschool circles that I was in when I, when I grew up. Um, but as cliche and Christianese as that is, it's absolutely true. We are supposed to represent Christ here to one another and to the world. We are his hands. We're definitely his feet. We're his voice. We're his embrace, his generosity, his help. We are Christ's love. We're the church. We're his body. And he primarily ministers to people through his people. How did God get his holy word to us? He gave it to us through people. How did God proclaim the gospel to us? He did it through someone's mouth, through people. How does God meet financial needs and physical needs? He oftentimes and primarily does that through his people, through his holy church. And when we bear one of those burdens in love, we represent Jesus well. But here's what can happen if we aren't following the Spirit's leading in this department. We can see a brother or sister in need. We can internally think, mm, that's not my burden to bear. That's not my problem. And we can come up with a lot of excuses for this, right? I mean, excuses as as. I guess one of the, the main reason that we probably would make an excuse for this is that we feel like we have enough people in our life that we're already taken care of, that our shoulders just can't shoulder any more of a load. Um, there are reasons for us just thinking, you know, that burden is just too big. That relationship just seems too messy. I don't want to affiliate with that. Or we have the classic, that's what we pay our pastors to do. The pastors are supposed to carry the, the, the load of other people in the church. You know, Jesus has a few words for those who have the means to help their brother or sister in Christ, but don't actually do it. He says in 1 John three seventeen through 18, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 
You see, it's easy to say, or easier to say, I love you. It's a lot harder to express that love in our actions. See, we try to avoid the mess. I think that's the natural default, is we try to avoid the mess. We try to avoid coming alongside people and getting under their burden with them because it's hard work. It's hard work. It requires energy, resources, sacrifice. You have to step out of your world, your schedule, your comfort zone. You have to roll up your sleeves. You have to get dirty. You have to help people. I mean, who really wants to do that? The natural man wants to help, does not want to help someone to his own hurt, right? Isn't that, isn't that true? And that's exactly the point. It's that the natural man only tries to take care of himself. And we are called to walk by the spirit. To live under the law of Christ. I like how theologian and author Paul David Tripp puts it. He talks about us being instruments. He says an instrument is a tool that is actively used to change something. And God has called all of his people to be instruments of change in his redemptive plans and hands. He went on to say, God never intended us to simply be objects of his love, which we are objects of his love. We are also called to be instruments of that love in the lives of others. This is the beautiful commission of the church to physically represent God to the world in deed and in truth. And one of the greatest ways we showcase God's love is by helping shoulder the burdens and the loads of those around us who are struggling to coming alongside them those who are hurting and downcast and considering them worthy to absorb some of the pain and the hurt and the reproach all for the glory of God. 1 John 3.16 says this, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Listen, our calling is to let love be genuine to love one another with brotherly affection, to take care of each other's needs, to show hospitality, to share in one another's joys, and to weep with those who are broken. And my prayer is Apostles Church is a community of faith that is known by our love for one another, by the burdens that we share and that we bear. Now, helping bear the burden of sin. This is what Paul is getting into in this particular passage. Let's look at this section here. Let me read it again. Starting in Galatians 6, 1. Brother, if anyone is caught in transgression, in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Here Paul gives us three things about restoring or bearing the, the, the burdens of those around us. He says, he gives us the purpose, the purpose in bearing one another's burdens. He gives us the posture, the attitude of bearing one another's burdens, and he gives us the potential pitfall when bearing one another's burdens. So the purpose, the posture, and the potential pitfall. It's four Ps. Killing it on the alliteration, right? <laughs> So let's talk about the purpose. Um, so in his text, verse one, the word caught gives us more insight into what Paul is talking about here. The rendering of this word does not imply that the individual or the individuals being spoken of here have been caught in some sin as if they've been caught with their hand in the cookie jar, so to speak. 
They could have been. They absolutely could have been, but commentators agree that this word caught is meant to express a sudden or unexpected temptation and then failure. It was something that was not premeditated. It just happened. Not an ongoing habitual practicing of sin. Now, the word transgression in this text, it helps the interpretation. It supports this interpretation by using the word transgression, which literally means to stumble or to trip up. So it's as as if this individual was caught off guard, unprepared, and stumbled when tempted. So Paul is saying when a believer suddenly stumbles, you who are spiritual should help pick them back up. Now the question is, who are these spiritual first responders? Most commentators are unified on this interpretation that these spiritual people are Christians. They're you. They're me. They're not some spiritual elite They are the people who walk by the Spirit of God. They are those who have put their faith in Jesus. Christians who are steadily walking by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Paul is saying that Christians who are in sync with the Spirit are tasked to help the Christians who fall out of sync with the Spirit. And it's only when we're walking in the Spirit that we can help those who aren't. To illustrate this point, I just started watching this show called The Eco Challenge. Has anybody heard of The Eco Challenge? No one. Okay. Oh, yes. I got one. Good show, right? Interesting. The Eco Challenge, it's, it just came out in August. Um, Bear Grylls hosts it, so you kind of know it's legit, right? If Bear Grylls is doing it. Um, but it claims to be the world's toughest race. They took place in Fiji, 66 teams, 30 countries, 11 days, 417 miles. And these teams of four had to trek across these five legs of a race and they got to choose how much sleep they actually wanted to have, depending on if they want to win that bad. Well, one of the rules is, is if one of your teammate falls or fails or has to drop out, the whole team's out. So this puts so much pressure on the team to make sure that they keep their whole team tight, healthy. You leave no man behind. Well, in the first episode, there's this team, Team Oregon. They're called Team Bend. And they're not one of the favorites, Team New Zealand is, but they just start off strong. I mean, they, they start off in a, in a river and they, op- they open kayak all the way to the open ocean and travel to two different islands. And these guys are just paddling and you're watching them and they're just breaking away from the pack. They're hours ahead of everybody. And um, Bear Girls obviously is, is speculating and saying these people are going to burn out. There's no way they can keep this pace. Well, they're saying we're going to keep up the pace. Well, throughout the, the episode, they keep on doing interviews with the team members and one of the team members is like, you know what, we're going to be good. We got Dan. Dan's on Team Bend, and Dan is, supposed, Dan is supposed to be the powerhouse of the team. And he's not a specimen of a man. He's tall, he looks strong, looks motivated. But when they show close to Dan, dude, he's just like, he's keeping everybody in sync, he's keeping the canoe going. I mean, he's just, just going for it. Well, when he gets to the second leg, which is the island loop, I mean, it's, it's apparent, like right when they get to the beach, that Dan is no longer the powerhouse. Dan is failing. And the team is like trying to just like get, him, get his gear back on and trying to get him going. And within a couple hours of the trek on the island, he literally is just like meandering throughout the, the trail. They had to take his clothes off and his underwear because he was overheating. They had to let him lay down. He was vomiting. They had to put a rope around his waist like a little kid and just so he wouldn't walk off to the, th- to the side of the path. I mean, this guy was done. They had to completely stop and just sit and take care of him. They had to nurse him back to health. Now, Dan was in no place to take care of himself. The powerhouse, Dan was no longer the powerhouse. He was down. He couldn't think straight. He couldn't move. He was stumbling all over the place. And his teammates had to come in because they had a right mind. They could assess the situation and they could actually help nurse Dan back to health. 
They could actually help get him back in good health, get him back in step. And eventually they did. Eventually they were able to continue the race. They didn't win the race, spoiler alert, but they definitely were able to get back in the race. Now, in the same way, this illustration has a point, in the same way, those who are spiritual are responsible to help restore those who have fallen out of step with the spirit. And it's because it's, it's a spiritual person who is able to exercise proper discernment. They're able to see sin for what it is, but more importantly, they're able to see how the gospel meets that sinner's need. They're able to see how the gospel meets that sinner's need. They're able to apply the appropriate balm of healing to that person who has fallen. Now the apostle Paul stated in 1 Corinthians 2, 15 through 16, The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now having the word of Christ in our hearts and heads enables us to see the symptoms of the flesh, to appropriately diagnose the problem, to to go out and go with spiritual triage for that person. Paul is saying the spiritual person is the only one qualified to help the person who has fallen out of step with the spirit. Listen, we all trip up. We all sin. We all make mistakes. Throughout our life, we will give in to the flesh. By God's grace, the longer we walk in the spirit, the less we will sin. The more we're conformed to Christ, the less we'll be conformed to the flesh. But we will always, always need other believers in our life to help us get back up when we fall. This is just one more reminder, again, in this text of how important it is to be plugged into a local church to be plugged into a local body, to have brothers and sisters in Christ who know you, who love you, who will bear your burdens with you, who you can open up to and express your concerns, your struggles, all your issues, your trials, to get prayer and encouragement. Because we're all running this race together. We're all egging each other on. We're all trying to stay in sync with with the gospel together for the glory of God. And when we fall, the church is there to help get us back up. There are no Lone Ranger, excuse me, there are no Lone Ranger Christians out there. As, m- as much as you try to be the Lone Ranger Christian, you will fail. So what's the purpose of bearing one of those burdens? It's restoration. It's to restore and help us get back on track, back in step with the gospel for our good in God's glory. Now the posture, in order to help restore someone, who is stumbling into sin, two things need to happen. You need to know about the transgression. You need to know about what happened, the sin. And you need to speak with that individual about the transgression. You need to practice Matthew 18, the initial step. You need to go to that brother or that sister. And unfortunately, when it comes to knowing about others' shortcomings, there's always a potential for us to do more harm than good. Paul knows this. So he gives us more instruction on how to help our fallen brother or sister. He says in Galatians 6, 1 again, restore him or her in a spirit of gentleness. Paul says, be gentle. This is so important. When you're approaching a brother who is in sin, if you're going to help someone who is struggling, be gentle. Gentleness is one of the fruit of the spirit listed earlier in Galatians 5. It is in gentleness that we are to address sin in our brothers' and sisters' lives. When Paul confronted the Corinthian church because they accused him of walking according to the flesh, he did it in gentleness. 2 Corinthians 10.1 
I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. I am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. Gentleness is one of the key descriptors of who Jesus is. As a leadership at the church here, we're going through a book called Gentle and Lowly. And the subtitle of this book is The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. It's by Dane Ortland, And several of you in the church are going through it, which is an amazing book. If you don't have a book, you're a reader, or even if you're not a reader and you want to pick up a book that's going to totally minister to you, pick up Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. But um, in the first chapter, the author notes an observation that Charles Spurgeon pointed out to his dad, and it's this. In the four gospel accounts given to us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 89 chapters of biblical text, there are only, there's only one place where Jesus himself tells us about his own heart. That's in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus describes himself here as gentle and lowly. In John 4, when Jesus engaged the woman at the well, who was a prostitute, privately working as a prostitute, Jesus didn't raise his voice towards her. He didn't get all red-faced and puffed up and frustrated. He didn't call her names or use harsh words. Jesus spoke gently to her. He listened to her. He didn't, his rage or his frustration or he didn't just boil up inside of him. I mean, he was so patient. He asked questions that he already knew the answers to. He didn't tell her to go clean her life up. He invited her in to his rest. He invited her to drink from the fountain of life. Jesus was gentle. He was gentle with her. To be gentle is to be tender, to be compassionate, to be non-condemning, to be full of mercy. The opposite of gentleness is to be harsh, to be savage or cruel or brutal. Simply put, gentleness is Christ-likeness. When we gently approach our brother or sister who is in sin, we are showing them Jesus. It's the gentleness and the kindness of Christ that we are to approach these people. We are showing them Christ's disposition towards them. We are reminding them of the gospel. We are already doing the work of bearing the burden just by representing Christ well in our gentleness and approaching them. Now, Paul instructs us to be gentle when we engage in restoring our fallen brother and sister, for this is the heart of Christ. Now, the pitfall, I'll try to go through this quicker. The pitfall Paul warns us of is the potential pitfall of pride. Pride when it comes to us addressing those who have fallen into sin. And honestly, this is where a lot of Christians get, get it wrong. This is where a lot of Christians get tripped up on when they're confronting someone in sin is our pride prevents us from being gentle. Pride makes us harsh. Pride can make us compassionless. Pride causes us to hold our nose and be disgusted with people's sin. Pride builds self up at the expense of others. Pride causes us to think things like, I can't believe they would do this or I would never do that. How could they do that? That's pride boiling up inside of us. It causes us to be condemning and judgmental. Our unloving reactions to sin, or to, excuse me, to sinners, are rooted in our own pride. And this is what Paul was warning us of in Galatians 6, 1 and 3. He says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. 
If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now we're all aware of King Solomon's proverbial wisdom that pride comes before a fall. When we're helping our brothers and sisters in sin, we must be on guard, Paul is saying. Examine yourself. Guard against thinking too highly of yourself. Guard against whatever sin that 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 person is particularly struggling with. Remember, it's pride or self-reliance that oftentimes is the sin behind the sin. Meaning when we suddenly stumble into sin, at times it's due to our own pride or self-reliance, thinking that we don't need to be strong in this area or we have this area covered in our lives. Thinking that we're above certain sins. So we let our guard down. We neglect to put on the full armor of God. We focus on self over savior and that's when we are at high risk of stumbling. Paul warns us to not be so foolish to think we are above these temptations. So inspect yourself. Make sure you are operating in the spirit and not in the flesh because pride has no place in the ministry of reconciliation. Now Paul concludes this warning with this. Verses four and five. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor for each will have to bear his own load. The meaning of this particular section of scripture is, is unclear. Commentators are kind of divided on it, but Paul is likely addressing the dangers of comparison here, which I addressed a little bit earlier. He's saying, don't look around you and measure your kingdom work or your godly character against your brother, those who are around you. If we do this, we'll either find it fall into a couple different ways, some of them sins, we'll either get puffed up with pride, we'll find someone who is doing worse than us and say, okay, we're doing great. Uh, I'm better than him, that's for sure. Or we'll realize that someone's already find, found us that's doing better than us and we'll fall into despair or we'll get frustrated or insecure. We can always find someone who appears to be worse off than us. And that's why Paul is warning us, do not compare yourself, brothers and sisters, with those around you, especially when you're coming alongside those who have fallen to sin. Paul says, test your own work against yourself. In a sense, he says, look at what God has given you. Opportunities to love, burdens to bear, people to come alongside and serve, ample opportunity to walk in the spirit, to live in the spirit. And if by God's grace, you are seeing fruit and growth in your life, then there is a real reason to boast in the end. And it's not a sinful, absorbed, self-absorbed boasting. It's a boasting in the cross of Christ. Now, my grandma, I went to a memorial on Friday because my, my wife's grandma, who's my grandma as well, um, passed away. And uh, it was just one of the most beautiful memorials because she, um, her and Jim, Grandma Brenda, Grandma Jim, they just had this legacy of godliness. Like it was so clear. I brought, brought into the family 10 years ago, nine years ago, but it was so abundantly clear that they just radiated Jesus in their life. And so at the end of a person's life like that, as sad as it was to lose them, to see the church like gather for it in Riverside and just show up and support her and just sing praises and boast in her walk with Jesus was amazing. It was a huge testimony to her faithfulness and a huge testimony to God's faithfulness. But that kind of bragging and a life well lived and a race well ran is I think what Paul is talking about here. That's the appropriate righteous boasting. That we boast in the race like Paul did in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 7 through 8. He said this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all have lo- who have loved his appearing. That's what it means to boast in Christ. Now in closing, I want to point your attention back to Matthew chapter 11. And I want to kind of wrap this up with just a really gospel, gospel-y thought. Matthew 11, let me read verses 28 through 30 again, because every time I read it, it just truly ministers to me. My phone is blowing up. I have no idea how to silence my iPad. Okay, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, as I was studying this text, I couldn't help but speculate that maybe Paul had heard this teaching passed down through one of the disciples or through some believer who had witnessed Jesus teach this. And maybe this is Paul's source for his encouragement to be gentle and humble when you're approaching those who are in sin. Maybe this is his proof text, so to speak. Maybe not. Doesn't matter. Either way, I think the Holy Spirit, through Paul, is reminding us today of how Jesus views us in our sin and in our brokenness. He's reminding you and me today how Jesus views us in our sin and in our brokenness. You know, it's easy, it's easier for us to think that Jesus would respond to needy, messed up sinners like us the way we might respond to sinners, you know, like us. To be harsh, to maybe be frustrated, to be kind of like, what's your problem? Like, come on, come on. I keep picking you up and picking you up. Why can't you just get it right? Why can't you figure this thing out? But Jesus' heart is so far from thinking or feeling that way towards us. So far from it. He tells us so. He tells us his heart towards us is gentle and lowly. He doesn't get frustrated. He doesn't get rushed. He's not irritated or flustered with us. He tenderly looks at us and invites us into his rest. Christian, when we stumble, he gently embraces us. He reminds us of the gift of forgiveness that was purchased at the cross when he demonstrated his love for us, that great love. When, he, when we feel condemned under the law, he reminds us of the new life that we have in him. He reminds us that we are safe and secure in his arms, that nothing can snatch him out of his hand. The burden of the law is no longer strapped to our backs, but now we have the law of Christ, the law of love. And oh, how easy that yoke of love is. How light that burden of love is that Jesus says. And it's not because it's easy all the time. This burden is not easy all the time, but because it's worth it every single time. Bearing the burden of Christ is worth it every single time. Let us carry it well, church. Amen. Father, we are so thankful for your word and just a reminder of how we are to view those who have fallen into sin, who are stumbling, who might be flailing about, struggling. I pray, God, that you remove the blinders off of our eyes or that we would just grow so compassionate of the people that we already can identify in our life that we, have may, we may have neglected to help bear that burden. I pray, God, that you would allow us to continue to walk in the Spirit, Lord. Help us to be strong. 
But thank you for reminding us again about the gospel and how even when we fall, God, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are there to help us and restore us and that you will never stop loving us and you're rooting for us and we stand justified because of what you have done and there's nothing that can change that. God, help us to be gentle and lowly. Help us to model Christ to our family, our children, our girlfriends, our boyfriends, our wives, our husbands, our moms, our dads, all of our relations, our coworkers. God, help us to model Christ to them for your glory and for our good. So we love you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.